It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into GC Live Afternoon Drive. I am Mike Yuva, and we are a day closer now to game day. South Carolina gears up to host Mississippi State in what will be their first home SEC game of the season, coming off a disappointing loss against Georgia, where they showed a lot of fight in that first half. Not that we celebrate moral victories around here, but the point being is we're seeing progress with this team. And we'll get in that, into that a little bit more, as well as our weekly keys to the game. Uh, today we'll be joined by former Gamecock quarterback Steven Garcia, who is a great person to have on today for multiple reasons. We can talk about the offense. We can talk about how you try to find ways to get the offense to find some type of identity outside of just having to be a team that is one-dimensional, right? And what I mean by that is obviously they haven't been able to establish the run to a point where South Carolina heading into this game this weekend, they're ranked 128 out of 130 teams in rushing yards per game. Let me say that again. South Carolina ranks 128 out of 130 in FBS. That is third worst for those of you who are not math whizzes. I was not that great at math back in the day, and neither am I great now, but – you can put two and two together with that. Uh, but we'll t- also talk with Garcia about Alshon Jeffrey because it will be a very, very special weekend at williams Bryce Stadium as they retire his jersey. And obviously what Jeffrey was able to do during his Gamecock days, obviously Garcia was there too. That was part of the heyday of Gamecock football. And we'll relive some of those memories. We'll talk about the Alabama game, I'm sure, and anything else that you guys want to talk to number five about whether it be about Jeffrey or about South Carolina, where things are at right now, or if you want to talk to Stephen in general. I mean, we'll bring up some different things. I know one thing that Stephen and I have talked about, even before the Johnny Manziel documentary came out, he said, man, he's like, imagine if there was a documentary on me and some of the stuff that I could get off my chest. But maybe we'll bring that up. Maybe we'll bring that up. But again, if you guys want to comment, ask any questions, fire away. Stephen is... Going to be joining us probably in the next, I'd say, 10, 15 minutes. Got to pick up his daughter from school. Um, one of three ch- children now. He just had a daughter a couple months ago. So congratulations to Stephen. Having said all that, let's get into our weekly keys for South Carolina, shall we? Now, I know there's a bunch of different things that we could talk about. We could talk about keeping the quarterback upright, right? And we'll talk about the running game, too. That is one of the keys this week. And I'll get into the comments made by Dal Loggins, the question I asked him yesterday, if you missed it, I was just very direct with him. I said, Dal, what goes into making those decisions at running back? How much of an impact does to carry on being such a good blocker when it comes to pass protection? How much does that impact things as well? And he gave a phenomenal answer. We'll play some of that as well. But let's get into the weekly keys as we do every week. 
and some of this will go back to the offense, the lack there of production when it comes to running the football. And when the first one I have this week for South Carolina is getting off the field on third downs and fourth downs. Last week, Georgia was five of 13 on third down conversions. When you look at that, it might not seem as bad, but a lot of that success for the Bulldogs came in the second half. And when you add in the fact they were two for two on fourth down conversions as well, it impacted the game in ways where South Carolina, they just they couldn't help themselves out, right? They weren't able to get off the field. And when, they're, when your offense isn't able to get the run game going, even though it all depends, you know, we can go from team to team when you're talking about time possession. When you're already thin with the lack of proven depth on defense, and some of these guys are coming along. We saw Pop Howard out there a little bit last game. I think he had 12 snaps. And Clayton White said, defensive coordinator Clayton White said he probably could have played him another 15 plays. But because of that, because of their inability to run the football, it's really putting their defense in a bind, especially in that second half when it was going three and out, three and out, three and out. I bring that up because I want to show you guys a comparison here. Last week, South Carolina ran 61 plays on offense, 61 plays. Defensively, they faced 80 snaps. Debo Williams at linebacker, Marcellus Dial at defensive back, defensive back Nick Eamon-Worry, defensive back DQ Smith. Those four players, they all played all 80 snaps, all 80 snaps. So when we go back and we're talking about the inability to get off the field on third down and get off the field on fourth down when your offense isn't able to sustain drives, your defense is already going to be exhausted as is. And this isn't no, no excuses about, Oh, you know, the conditioning. No, no, no. I don't care what your type of conditioning routine is. I don't care what the heck you're doing in the off season. I don't care what you're doing in season. When you don't have the proven depth behind you, at least a couple games in, And we knew that even going into the season, just because this team is so young at some point, that's going to happen at certain positions. It's happening at linebacker. It's happening in the secondary. Some of those guys are coming along. We've seen that even in week one with Jalen Kilgore getting in there because of the injury early on the first series against North Carolina with Nick Eamon worry. And thank God that Eamon worries back. And if you needed any further proof that he's starting to feel like himself, uh, just look no further than the fact that he played in all 80 defensive plays last week against Georgia. But I throw that out there, and I also want to add in Odie Fortune, uh, who played 69 snaps, and then Stone Blanton played 68 snaps. Those what? One, two, three, four, five, six. Those six players played 68 snaps or more. If you want to do the math again, this isn't a math program, but Stone played the fewest of that six. And he only missed 12 snaps. So the whole point being is you need to help yourself out. You need to be able to get off the field, especially not knowing what the offense is going to be able to do. We don't know what the run game is going to look like. I mean, I'm optimistic. And when I talk about the run game in a little bit, I'll explain why. But until you can see that defensively, you need to help yourself out. You need to be able to get off the field. You need to be able to do what you can to help your team out by getting off the field in third down, fourth down, those money downs to be able to hopefully save some of that energy. Because again, looking at some of those snaps right there, and I think 
guys like Pup Howard, now that you're heading into the fourth week of the season, and outside of the fact I use Pup, for example, Pup missed some time during preseason camp. That was also on the other side of it. Nick Harbour missed some time during preseason camp. But when you're talking about true freshmen as well, they're continuing to learn what not just college football is all about, but college. Some of these guys will click a little bit quicker than others. But we'll get into that shortly. All right, number two. Moving along. Create tackles for a loss and stop the run. If you thought the running stat for South Carolina was bad, <laughs> I got a better stat for you. And that's talking about tackles for a loss. Through three games, the Gamecocks have racked up 10 TFLs. 10. That ranks, wait for it, second to last in the country out of 130 teams. 130 teams, they are 129. They're actually tied at 129 with Boston College. Boston College played an FCS team in there as well. So I throw that out there because only Georgia Tech has fewer tackles for loss, and they have seven through their first three games. I bring that up because although Mississippi State, they have changed their offense up a little bit. It's not the air raid as we're used to seeing. Um, rest in peace, the late Mike Leach and what he was able to do over there. And obviously, if you're a fan of college football, you understand wherever Leach went, the success that they had with the air raid. It's a different type of offense. That's not to say they're not going to throw the football, but they're a team that likes to run the ball more. They're a team that's actually heading into this game. They're averaging just, just under 180 yards a game. So knowing that they want to run the football, they want to run the football. It's crazy to say this again, because we're so used over the last couple of years, especially saying that Mississippi State wants to throw the football. You have to make them throw it this weekend. You have to get them to fall behind the sticks, which is an issue South Carolina has fallen into from an offensive standpoint. But you need to do that from a defensive standpoint. You need to rack up some TFLs. You need to. And if you can stop the run, get in situations where it's second and nine, even if they're only gaining a yard or two, and putting them in situations where they have to throw it, not only are you going to give yourself an opportunity to get some more tackles for a loss, but you're also going to have an opportunity to hopefully pick up a couple sacks. Another area that South Carolina is towards the bottom part in the country. So that's something that you need to be able to do this weekend. Stop the run. Make them more one-dimensional. Talk about one-dimensional. It's going to get into my third key of the game. We're talking about USC's run game. Make them one-dimensional. Make them throw the football on you this weekend. All right? Moving along. I see the comments. Damn, Mike, I'm getting depressed with these stats. Three games in, all right? Three games in. There's been some changes. We've seen some improvements. No moral victories around here, but again, we'll get into some of that later. All right, number three, and it goes without saying, and I know a lot of you guys have been saying this probably after the North Carolina game, but North Carolina game, it was more so just give us something that we can hang our hat on, especially after the inability to keep Rattler upright, getting sacked nine times, being able to establish the run. I don't like getting so caught up on some of these stats. I know I've been throwing out a lot of numbers here. I mean, there's a difference between like the analytic geeks in baseball and people that use analytics in sports. 
right, to make decisions like, oh, do this on third down. Sometimes you just got to have a feel for it. Okay? There's a difference between analytics and then just talking strictly about the stats heading into a game. So when I bring this stat up, Mississippi State, they're still in the top one-third of the country as far as their run defense goes, but they're still allowing over 110 yards rushing a game. So I bring that up because, another stat, South Carolina through three games, they've only combined, combined for 159 yards. Now, some of that has to do with the with, with sacks cutting into the actual rushing numbers, right? So it's a little wonky, but, I mean, you don't need to look at the stat sheet to know that from just a lack of success standpoint, USC, when it comes to the run game, mm-mm. They haven't been able to do much, regardless of those sat, those sacks that have cut into their run total. So if you're averaging about 53 yards rushing a game, I'll be generous. I'll give them another 15 yards or so, right? We'll just round it up to 65 yards. So let's say South Carolina is averaging like 65 yards rushing this season without the sacks. And again, I'm not looking at the exact numbers in front of me. We're just ballparking it. That's still not anywhere close to where it needs to be. I've talked about this a lot over the last couple weeks, and we'll play the soundbite from Dow Loggins in a little bit. I kind of want to wait, though, until Steven Garcia pops on just because I don't want to start playing it and then cutting it short. But with how bad the offensive line, and I don't want to just blame the offensive line because some of it also had to do with just, you know, tight ends may have missed the block too. The lack of protection week one against North Carolina, okay? And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of repeating a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about. And as I said on Tuesday's show, I'm not going to sit here and talk about, well, why didn't they have this? Why don't they bring an offensive lineman in? Why don't they bring a running back in? We're four games into the season, all right? This isn't the NFL. They're not going to go out and trade someone. They're not going to bring someone in off the streets. The reality is this is what you have to work with right now. You want to bake a cake? You're in your kitchen. The ingredients you have, that's what you got right now. All that other stuff, I'm not making excuses about it, but it's like we've done that. We've done that song and dance. It's not going to change anything based on where they are right now. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole for anyone that wants to bring any of that up today. Having said all that, what we've seen from South Carolina is this, from an offensive standpoint, the pass blocking has improved. Is it perfect? Certainly not. No question about it. That's not perfect. But having lost your left tackle in the spring game, so you don't have really that same rhythm coming out of spring as you would have if your left tackle didn't go down as you head into preseason camp, as you head into fall camp. But then two series in, your right tackle goes down, and he's hurt. So now you're playing musical chairs on the offensive line. At that point, you have to figure out what you can do to correct things on the fly. And I think with South Carolina, that fix was, okay, we need to be able to bring some guys in and we need to be able to help Rattler throw the football. And we've seen what Rattler can do when he has time to throw the ball. So being able to bring the carry on Joyner in, who is still figuring out what running back and be able to play the position is all about. There's no question about that. Well, he might not necessarily be the best running back, that South Carolina has, and that's still to be seen. He at least is giving USC the ability 
to improve on something where at least week one, they were absolute hot mess. They were absolute garbage. And you can back that up with the simple fact that South Carolina ranks eighth in the country in passing offense. Now, again, having said all that, that doesn't excuse the fact that they haven't been able to run the football. But we're trying to make sense of it, right? There's a lot of people out there. There's going to be other shows. There's going to be websites. People are going to be typing stuff up saying, yeah, run the football, run the football. Yeah, I want them to run the football too. I want them to have success. But sometimes you got to take a step back and try to process what is going on, what South Carolina is trying to do to correct things in real time. And one of the things that they've been able to do is give Rattler some more time. Outside of that Furman game, because at that point, Rattler was already out of the game. He was already out of the game. They didn't allow a sack when, Gar- when, when Rattler was in there against Furman. Last week, Georgia got to him, I think it was twice. So since that North Carolina game, in the last two weeks, going up against one of the better defenses, and then you were going up against a, for what they are in the FCS, they're a very stingy defense, but still an FCS opponent. You've only allowed two sacks these last two weeks. If I told you that, if I told you that, South Carolina is only going to allow two sacks after what we all saw week one against North Carolina. I think a lot of us would say, sign me up. And again, I'm not counting those other two sacks against Furman when the backups were in. I'm talking strictly about when Rattler was on the field. I think a lot of us would say, sign me up for that. So I think that has played a big reason why we've seen South Carolina do what they've done from an offensive standpoint, and they've put more of an emphasis on having DK out there because he is one of their better pass blockers at running back. Now, also trying to make sense of it. Two weeks ago, Mario Anderson, during a press conference, he shared that one of the challenges that he's been facing has been, and I'm paraphrasing here, is just trying to grow from a mental standpoint. The mentality that you need at this level. Next Tuesday, and I shared this on Gamecock Central earlier, it's not apples to apples because they play different positions, but I was speaking with former Gamecock defensive back Carlins Patel. Patel, of course, came in from a Division II school, played defensive back. It was around that fourth game, fifth game mark. Things started to really click for him, and he started the rest of the year for the Gamecocks at nickel, had an unbelievable season, and then he was signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, the following year. I bring that up because – With Anderson and everything that I've been told from people close to the program, these last two weeks, especially heading into that Furman game, but even going into Georgia last week, he's really been able to grow and show the coaching staff that he's starting to understand things. And that goes back to just the trust. Now, I also feel like because the offensive line, again, not perfect from a pass blocking standpoint, but because they've been able to goodness they've been able to figure things out after what we saw week one this coaching staff feels a little bit better about where that is going it's still not perfect you still have uh, one true freshman out there in a Louisville Bubalade big tree getting his first career start last week and we'll see if Trevon Baugh gets a start this week or if he plays a little bit more in comparison to what he played last week I have the snap count in front of me right now uh, tree played All 61 snaps. The only other offensive lineman that played 61 snaps last week was Nick Gargiulo. Vershawn Lee, I believe Lee had to come out for one play because his helmet came off, and that's why Trey Jones came in. But And then Gargiulo slid over to center for that one play. But Trevon Baugh, he played 12 snaps last week. So the whole point is 
they're trying to find a way. They're trying to find a way to adjust things on the fly. And when your offensive line, and again, I don't want to just put it on the offensive line as a whole, but obviously it starts with them. When the O-line's not able to do anything, anything game one from a pass-blocking standpoint, you have to figure out something. You have to be able to justify, okay, what are we going to be able to do so we can give our quarterback an opportunity? And they've been able to prove that. Having said all that, though, because they've essentially put all their eggs in one basket by focusing a lot more on the passing game, it's made them one-dimensional. And as we've talked on this program before, even going back into the offseason and shoot other shows I've done, even when I was working at Watch Fox, and you don't even have to be a football reporter. If you understand the game, you pay attention to it, you know that if you just keep pass, 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 passing, what's going to happen? That front seven, especially the defensive line, they're just going to put their hands in the dirt and they're going to tee off on the quarterback. At some point, you need to change things up. I think because the offensive line, because the protection over these last two weeks it has grown. It has improved from absolutely uh, the trash that we saw week one that we will see an improvement in the run game. We will see an improvement from the run game because I feel like the coaching staff is building. They have more confidence on what the offensive line is building towards. And they feel like, okay, maybe we can mix things up as well as what I mentioned, the growth from Mario Anderson over the last two weeks. So I think we will see that. Do I see DK going out and playing wide receiver? I think someone said full, but no, 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 no. I don't see that. I can see there being situations where you have both DK out there and Mario, but I think we'll start to see Mario get more touches. I know Mike Davis took to Twitter, the former Gamecock running back last week, saying he likes the way 24 runs the football. And what he did on that opening drive on third and short, I think it was a seven-yard run. He was carrying what felt like half the Georgia team. He runs hard. He runs hard. He has the ability to play at this level. But being able to grasp everything else around him, which it moves at a totally different level. The speed of the game, this level, it's different. And that's why going back and using his words, using Mario Anderson's words, he's just had to, he's had to figure things out and grow from a mental standpoint. That mentality, it's just a little different. That's why I'm optimistic that he's going to be okay because we've seen the song and dance before. We've seen it with, with, with Division II guys. We've seen it with other younger players that have come in here. Again, Carlin's Patel. We'll talk with Carlin's on Tuesday on GC Live. But in addition to that, there are going to be outliers. There's going to be players that come in from smaller schools, such as Juice Wells did last year, such as even Nick Gargiulo. For people that have been paying attention to certain players on the offensive line, Gargiulo's done a nice little job. He's done a really nice job, all things considered with the offensive line as a whole. There will be guys that can come in here and figure things out right away. There's going to be guys that just takes a little bit longer. That doesn't mean they're a bust. That doesn't mean that South Carolina missed on, on the recruiting aspect of it. It just means some guys come along just a little bit slower, and that's normal. So, again, going back to the whole point with the establishing the run, this is a defense that has their flaws, that you should be able to find a way to get things going if if you're able to get things going from a passing game standpoint. Because if Mississippi State's coming through and they're teeing off on Rattler, regardless if Mario Anderson's in the game, regardless if on Joyner's in the game, 
South Carolina is going to have to find a way to be able to generate some type of offense, right? And if the run game hasn't been successful for the first three weeks, what's going to happen? They're going to likely abandon that. I'm not saying that's the right decision, big picture, but if you are in a situation like South Carolina was week one, we've seen it. They're going to just go to the passing game. They feel more comfortable with doing that. So if you get the run game going, man, I, if they get the run game going, I think it's going to be really difficult for teams to beat them. If the offensive line continues to play the way that they've been playing over the last couple of weeks and continue to improve, and I think we're going to see confidence continue to grow with these younger guys, but not just Aluatos and Bubalade, not just Ba, but the offensive line as a whole, because now they're starting to play alongside each other. Now they've been able to build a rapport. It's a little bit different when you do that in preseason camp. It's a little bit different when you do that in spring ball. So those are, are what I would say are the keys. I'm going to go back, read some of the comments. Garcia just texted me. He said that he'll be hopping on. Sounds good. Let him know. That sounds good. Uh, let's go through some of the comments here. See if we have any of the questions. Cocky Joe says, let's go Gamecocks. Good to see you on here, Craig. Michael Wade. Richard Martin says, running game. How can we get the ball outside? I know some people are sick and tired of it, and we'll talk about it with Garcia. That's one of the reasons why we're seeing so many short passes, screens, swing passes. It's an extension of the run game. It also shows that they've they've not had a lot of confidence, and can you really blame them, at least the first two games after what we saw of game one up front, that South Carolina has tried to find a way to create an extension of the run game with the short passes, with the screens, with the swing passes. It's worked some a little bit, but it hasn't been consistent enough, right? We look back to last week. You look at the first play of the game, and I think Shane Beamer actually shared that that was going to be a design run play. It was an RPO, though. And based on the look that Georgia gave them, they decided to throw the ball. We took a short little pass. They threw it to Luke Doty, and Doty took, took the ball for five yards. We saw a bunch of other screen passes, screen, uh, swing ball, swing passes, balls just out towards the flat, you know, that only three or five yards, just quick little passes. We also saw a screen to Juice Wells, who looked phenomenal in that first drive, and it's a, it's a damn shame that he's going to be out at least for this week, probably out for the next couple weeks. But as Shane Beamer said on Tuesday, it is not season-ending. The only specifics he said on Tuesday's press conference was that he – meaning Juice, saw a specialist in Charlotte on Tuesday, not season-ending, and it's a left foot injury. And that was the only thing that was said. Um, going through this, Justin says, ask him about the importance of running back being able to pass protect. And that's what we got into, if you're just joining us. We went down the list with that. We'll play the sound, though, from Dow Login shortly about that question, and Matt says, Steven Garcia, freaking legend. I'm excited to be able to have him on. Um, he's been really busy juggling having a, another child, having three kids now. But uh, Jane Nelson Felder said, love watching Steven and Alshon team up. I mean, you, you look at that Alabama game in particular, some of the catches that Alshon made, some of the throws that Steven made. I mean, both of them were playing on a different level that day. Totally different level. William Jones says, I've been hoping to get Steven Garcia on. Yeah, Steven's, uh, Steven's going to be, let's see, 
Steven's actually messaging me. Will I be on video? <laughs> because he uh, he's picking up his kids. So, God help us all. Uh, Cocky Joe says, the Ben don't break defense is not my favorite. Too many yards given up and momentum given. Yeah, I think the challenging part is when you look across college football and a lot of even pro coaches talk about it now, the bend don't break mentality just because the way the rules have changed with how defenses are able to play certain things and the inability of really being able to use their hands. Obviously, in the NFL, it's a little bit different, right? After five yards, you can't check the receiver downfield. In college, you can get away with it a little bit more. But as we know, not just in pro football, but in college football, even trickling down to high school football, a lot of the rules that have changed over the years, it has been in favor for the offense. They do that on purpose, right? They want to be able to see uh, high-scoring games because offense, it's it's more exciting, right? So I think over the years, a lot of coaches, obviously they would love to be able to get off the field on third downs. The defensive coordinators would love if their defense you know, shut out every opponent. But we're seeing higher-scoring games. There's always going to be outliers, right? But the bend-don't-break mentality, that's fine. But when your defense is so thin as it is going into the season, at some point it's going to take a toll on you, especially if you're getting into, whether it be a, uh, a track meet or you're getting into the fourth quarter and you're just absolutely gassed. And as I mentioned before, when you look at the snap counts from last week's game for the defense, and I'll pull it up right here in case anyone missed it, But when you get into those situations, you're really going to put yourself behind the eight ball. So again, if you're just looking at it right now, these were the snap counts from a defensive standpoint against Georgia. Debo Williams, Marcella Style, Nick Eamon Worry, DQ Smith, those, those guys right there, all four of those guys, they played every snap. That's why... As I mentioned, being able to get off the field on third down and fourth down, it's so critical. It's so critical. So, again, being able to get off the field as quickly as you can, you need to be able to do it. That's why the bend-don't-break mentality, I don't think it's fully going away, but at the same time, too, you need to help yourself out when you do get into those third-down situations, right? You need to be able to find a way to get off the field so that you can help yourself out, especially if the offense is struggling. Right? You can't assume, we can't assume that Rattler is just going to go down the field and be able to march, or the offense is going to be able to find a way to run the ball and sustain long drives. You need to be able to help yourself out in the process, and I think that's what the defense needs to do this week. And William Jones says, I've been hoping to see Steven Garcia on here. Well, he's coming. Justin Simmons says, does the 3-3-5 MSU run on defense provide an opportunity for us to possibly run the ball? Is it a defense that a back like Mario might be able to match up well against? Well, I think it all depends the matchups and how the offensive line is able to pick things up. And Steven Garcia, <laughs> what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? How we doing? I'm doing well. We got a lot of people excited that you hopped on here today. Um, obviously, obviously an exciting weekend with, uh, Alshon getting his Jersey retired. We'll get into that, uh, because a lot of people, they still have memories, obviously the Alabama game, but just that time period. And obviously that was, 
the heyday outside of the black magic year of Gamecock football. So we'll, we'll talk about plenty with that. But um, I, I got to ask you, though. I mean, we it's talked hot about as hell, it. man. That, it's hot as hell. That's why I'm not wearing a shirt. It's it's I just picked up my daughter as I was texting you. I'm, I'm still kind of <laughs> sweating. I had to get the fan going here. Oh, you're all right. You're all good. I mean, this isn't a PG show, but we'll, we'll just try to keep the swears to a minimum so I don't have to get uh, yelled at later. But <laughs> right. um, so we we're, we're all good with the sponsors. But Stephen, I mean, it's a it's a small sample size. Where have you seen South Carolina just improve from week one to week three as an offense? It's so easy to say the protection. But are you noticing right. anything different over the last couple of weeks? I mean, I think the protection is hands down the the better part of the uh, the the operation. Um, you know, I think the defense is definitely playing well um, as well, uh, a little bit better than they did against. Obviously, Drake May is a hell of a. I mean, he's the Heisman hopeful, so you know it's it's kind of tough to keep him contained. But um, yeah, for the most part, I would just say, like everybody else is saying, this the protection is is vastly improved and. You know, I think uh, Spencer's doing a better job, you know, not necessarily looking at the rush as much as I thought he did the first uh, the first week. And I caught a lot of hell for saying that on Twitter, but <laughs> I call it like I see it, man. I mean, it is what it is. No, you you do. You do. What have you seen, though, that you like with what Dow Loggins has done? And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the run game. I was talking about that before you hopped on. Obviously, you have to work with what you got. They're trying to figure things out in that running back room. But to go from what we saw week one – getting sacked nine times to heading into week three. And obviously they could have probably adjusted a little bit better in that second half against Georgia, but all things considered, they're ranked eighth in the country for passing offense. They're without their top receiver juice wells for most of the season or the majority so far far. You don't have a running game. I know the Boston accent slipped on. Yeah, I, I, I know you love it. What, yeah, what, what have you, what have you liked that he's done? And if you can explain to people, maybe some of those things other than, Oh yeah, they're just throwing the football. I mean, you, you saw, you know, this past week, uh, you know, the, on the touchdown to juice before he got hurt, or I guess the play he got hurt on, but yeah, just getting the ball out of Spencer's hand, you know, pretty quick, you know, if the protection, if the line isn't blocking as, as well as you prefer, or if you know that well at all, uh, get the ball out of your, out of your quarterback's hand, let the, uh, put him in the playmaker's hands and, let the receivers block downfield. And it's a lot easier to block defensive backs than I think it is 350-pound linemen. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think he's doing a better job just getting the ball out of his hand and getting into the playmaker's hand. It's it's very simple. We've seen, obviously, a lot of short passes, screen passes, and anyone that follows football knows that if you're not able to get the run game going, or even if you are, those passes are an extension of the run game. If right. South Carolina continues to struggle this weekend, right? Let's say they go out there and they have the game plan of, okay, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to put Mario Anderson out there. We're going to do whatever the case may be, and it's not working. What else can you do? Because I know there's going to be fans that get frustrated, but is there anything else that you can do if the run game's not working and you're trying to find a way to find that extension? Well, as you, uh, as I'm sure you are well aware of, man, fans get pissed off and irritated regardless of what is happening. So. <laughs> That's just some. That's just something you got to live with. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I mean, you, I thought the first half was an absolutely uh, amazing part of that game, and um, you know, I thought it was, in my opinion, I thought it was the best Spencer's played in the Garner Black uniform. I actually posted that, and people kept reminding me of the Tennessee game. Yeah, that was a good game, but I thought Spencer played his best game in that first half uh, last week, and I was hoping that they were going to continue. Why do that, you but, say that, Stephen? Sorry to cut you I off, mean, but why do you say that? I mean, just the, he was getting the ball out of his hand. He was accurate. He was making good decisions um, on time. And I mean, he was just lighting it up and I wish we would have been able to continue that. Um, you know, obviously people make halftime adjustments and I feel like Georgia started bringing a little bit more pressure. So 
you know, that's just part of the game. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think we uh, we learned a lot this past week. And, you know, I think we have a lot to look forward to, you know, for the remainder of the season. You know, hopefully Juice, you know, heals up and hopefully can make a little comeback towards uh, a little bit later in the year. You've played with younger players. There's some guys that can come right in there and they can play week one. They're ready to go as a freshman. And you know this because we talk about this, obviously, with sites like Gamecock Central and a lot of the on three and all the other recruiting sites out there. Fans know more about high school players probably now than ever before. They probably know what their favorite lunch is for crying out loud and this and that. Having said all that, there's more of an excitement probably to be able to see player XYZ get on the field a little bit quicker. What can you say to fans, though, that you might not see some of these guys week one, but as you know, week three, week four, they're figuring what college is all about, college football. What would you say to those fans? Because there's going to be probably players over the next couple weeks or even a transfer like Mario Anderson that – finds their way onto the field because man, things are starting to click now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are in high school. Um, I mean, unless you are a Jadavian Clowney, um, uh, what are you, what are you drinking there? Uh, that Mio stuff. I squeezed the stuff in oh, there. Oh, water. Oh, I, I couldn't tell if that was a little sandstorm or not. No, not the sandstorm. That'd be weird. <laughs> if the sandstorm was looking that color, we'd have issues. <laughs> Anyways. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I was saying though, if you're a clowny and you're, 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 basically NFL ready as a senior in high school and you're coming in. And obviously the year, when you're that kind of player, you can, you can make a direct impact almost immediately. Uh, but for the most part, man, high school and college is vastly different um, in every single facet of the game. So, you know, I think it does take a little bit of time to kind of adjust to not only the speed of the game, the size of the game, the strength of the game, but, you know, just it, the off the field stuff as well. I mean, hell, it, it took me damn near my entire career to figure that out uh, the <laughs> off the field stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so much more to, 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 you know, being a, a student athlete at a big time school than just, you know, just showing up on the field, showing up at practice and going from there. It's, there's a lot more that goes into it, but yeah, like you were saying, and like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people understand that, you know, after a couple of weeks go by after a couple of games and you know, they, they, it clicks, you know, eventually it clicks and it's part of the game man. it's, it's all, it's all part of the deal. Yeah. Cause I know we don't know the specifics. I told people that next week on GC live on Tuesday, Carlin's Patel, obviously, he transferred in from a Division II school. He played defense, but we were talking about this, and he's like, man, he's like game four, game five, it started to click, and he started the rest of the year at nickel, went on to sign with the Steelers. I bring that up because Mario Anderson two weeks ago, he said that he's trying to continue to grow from a mental standpoint, right, the mental side of it all. When you hear that, though, is that what you're thinking? Like he's just trying to figure out whether it be the playbook because it's different from D2. Like he, when he was out there against Georgia, we saw on that run, and I said before you hopped on, your uh, your old teammate Mike Davis even said he's like, I like the way two four runs the football. I mean, is that kind of what you're what you're thinking that uh, is? No, absolutely, absolutely. There's no there's no doubt about it. It's uh either, either no matter where you go, and even you know you ask ask Mike about what the adjustment was from you know SEC football to to <laughs> the NFL. I'm sure he says it's a hell of a lot different too. So I mean, every every time you make that jump from level to level, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy, and you just got to be mentally prepared for it. You have two young offensive linemen out there. And there was a comment that Spencer Rattler said the other day. I don't know if you had a chance to hear it. And I'm paraphrasing, but someone asked him about, you know, what do you say to a young offensive lineman when they have a full start? Um, and Rattler quickly came out. He's like, I could care less about that. He's like, he's a freshman. He's making his first career start in Georgia. If we have a veteran wide receiver, we have one of these other veteran guys make a mistake where we're, that's not going to be acceptable. But for him to not, allow a sack in a game like that, that's more impressive than a full start. I say that because 
what could what what can that do from a leadership standpoint? Right, you're a younger player. You hear the starting quarterback, your leader on your team, your captain say that for you. I mean, what can that do from a confidence standpoint for a guy like Big Tree who lives up to his name? I don't know if you've seen this guy, but holy cow, his paws are freaking big, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, you, you already said it. It's uh, That is the ultimate confidence booster. And confidence is 90% of the damn game, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, all these guys can run. All those guys can throw, catch, the, the whole deal. Um, some do it other are better than others. But for the most part, man, it's confidence. If you go into a game and – you know, you have that confidence. If you have the confidence of your coaches behind you, um, you have the confidence of your starting quarterback behind you. I mean, you're going to play. You're going to play a lot, hell of a lot better. What can you do as a quarterback to help out younger offensive linemen? I know there's only so much that you can do. We mentioned that comment and just being able to build confidence because, as you know, whether it be a coach. I mean, I used to tell you about the stuff with Belichick covering the Patriots last year. You know, obviously he's setting the tone when he's in front. Right. That can obviously send a message because it gets back to the players like, wow, he's saying that to everybody. What can you do? Is there some little things maybe that we don't see in games to be able to help out those offensive linemen as a quarterback? Obviously, these other offensive linemen are working with them. But as a quarterback, what can you can you do? I, I think just remain positive. You know, that's that's really all you can do. If I know that if I was an offensive lineman and I had somebody tell me to get off my ass and make some make a, you know make a block and stop being off sides all the time it would drive me absolutely crazy. And, you know, that was, that was coach Spurrier to me, man. I mean, that just constantly nagging him. I didn't do myself any favors cause I had a hard time listening to him, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it makes it, it makes it tough when you have somebody constantly barking at you. So, you know, I think Spencer was, is, was perfect on that. Just, you know, just bringing up the positive things and kind of dropping the negative stuff. It's nobody wants to be negative. Nobody wants to be around negativity. So I think that's, that's paramount. I'll come back to the Mississippi state game in a minute. But I want to change things up because I know a lot of people are going to smile here when you start sharing stories. To see one of your teammates get his jersey retired, I know you got to see Clowney, and we all knew how special Clowney was. But I think it it speaks volumes from, I think it was maybe a year ago, 107.5 The Game did their list of, I think it was like, what, the 30 years being in the SEC, the 30 greatest Gamecock football players. Mm -hmm. And they voted Alshon as number one. So it just speaks volumes of what this fan base continues to think of Alshon. I've been able to get to know him over the last couple of years, and I think more than anything what I'm impressed by is what a frigging just good dude, good family man. He's got beautiful children. What can you tell us about what this will mean as a teammate to see that guy be able to get his jersey retired this weekend? It should happen a hell of a lot sooner, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's – I never got a chance to play with Sterling. Um, I've met him a few times. Uh Never got a chance to play with Sidney Rice. Met him a few times. But, uh, you know, and you can – the list goes on and on. But in my opinion, Alshon's the best receiver that's ever put on the garden in black. So, for him to get his jersey retired and for me kind of being a part of that, uh, you know, it's it's unbelievable. It's awesome. And I'm so happy for that damn guy. It's – it's. Uh, I mean, that's that's a dream come true. As a You know, you go as a little kid, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to play in that stadium. Um you know, I'm going to get my jersey retired one day. I'm going to make it to the Super Bowl. I'm going to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, he, he accomplished all of that stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm super proud of him. And, you know, I still talk to him to this day. And actually, I got a couple Eagles fans that I work out with. And they were like, hey, can you get Alshon to sign a jersey? I was like, yeah, man. So I'll text Alshon and say, hey, man, I got a couple of jerseys. You know, send me your address so I can send them to you. You know, I appreciate it. And he's like, yeah, man, no problem. So he's just that kind of guy, man. Uh, you know, he'll do whatever he can to help you out. And, um I consider him a, a good friend for sure. And I'm happy to sell for him. 
a lot of people think about those two throws against Alabama, but is there any other throws that just stand out to you that he made and you're just like, how the hell did he come down with that? Huh. A lot of them, a lot of them. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't always super accurate. So he, uh, he bailed me out several times and I'm just, I'm trying to think, I mean, maybe the, in the swamp in Florida, it was like a third and 15 or something. And I threw a, uh, uh, over the ball. that was probably like, it had to be maybe 12 feet in the air and he just hopped up, caught it and they took his legs out from under him. But that's, that's one of the catches, one of the many, but yeah, I mean, it was, he was so easy to throw the ball to just made everything just super easy. I was going to say, when you have a receiver, and you played with some dudes. I mean, you played with some talented wide receivers. But in him in particular, how much easier does that make your life? I mean, right now, we've seen that with Juice, and un- unfortunately, he's not healthy, but we're seeing that with Xavier Leggett. And I don't want people to start saying, oh, Mike's comparing him to Elshon. No, 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 I'm not saying that. No disrespect to, to, to X, but you had a guy that you knew, if you threw it in his vicinity, he was probably going to come down with it. Right. Right. And that's, that's a huge relief. And it's the same thing with, you know, with Lattimore behind you, you know, if I hand the ball to him, he's going to, he's going to somehow lean forward and at least get positive yardage. He's not going to get tackled in the backfield. So, uh, you know, when you have those kind of guys, kind of weapons behind you, um, around you, I mean, it, it makes football a hell of a lot more fun for sure. I know you hate when I ask you questions like this, I should have asked you this before you hopped on kind of putting you on the spot. Any stories that you can tell with hell about Alshon? I mean, even if it's, not like the funniest story of it all, or just just the memory. It could be just something stupid that he would always do in the locker room. I don't know. I'll try not to get you I, I in mean, trouble. No, I'm trying not to get Alshon in trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not. I, I have a story, but I'm not going to go there. I'll text you off the record. But uh, um, but I mean, he's just a, such a quiet kid. You know, kind of kept to himself uh, throughout the whole whole time that I was there with him. Um, yeah, I mean, not not really, not really super outgoing. Um, you know, just kind of, just kind of kept his head down and worked hard, man. And obviously it paid off. And like I said, I'm, I'm super freaking excited for him. And, you know, he's, he's so well-deserving for this. There's a comment here from one of our regulars. God loves comics. I don't know exactly what I'm just relaying this. So you might not know what the heck I'm, what he's saying. Ask him about the first time he saw Elshon practice. He saw Elshon loping around on the field and said, this is the five-star guy. Do you know what he's talking about? Oh, uh, God, who said that? I forgot who said that, but yeah, I do remember that because you know he took his shirt off, like like I have right now. That's and, why you're uh, doing it today. It has nothing to do with the <laughs> fact that you're always shirtless when you do these interviews, with and usually a beer in your sweat. hand. <laughs> I wish, man. I haven't had a beer all week, man. I'm starving. Um, Third but, kid uh, will do that to you, <laughs> uh, or have more beers for that matter. But uh, but yeah, I forgot who exactly said that. But um, he took his shirt off, and everybody's like, "There's no way in hell this guy's a five star." received like absolutely zero chance and it was zach brindy if you remember that guy mm-hmm. um he was in at the time um and they were like alshon just go deep so you know he zach takes a five-step drop throws it deep downfield and triple coverage and alshon comes over top and just snags it over three of the guys and everyone's like okay well that's that's why he's a five-star guy and you know he just did that for the rest of his entire career and obviously it worked out i know we had a chance to hear it from him but i know you in particular and a lot of the former players, they're obviously they're very happy that Shane Beamer's back. I know how much he means to you guys and the fact that he was part of that coaching staff when you guys were were there. He uh, shared a story that, you know, he called Alshon and he was trying to do everything he could to recruit him. And he remembers just sitting on his back porch trying to get him to come to South Carolina. And then years later, he's the one that gives him a call with Ray Tanner to say, hey, your jersey's being retired. 
how neat of an opportunity do you think this weekend's going to be for for Shane and the fact that there's already so many former players that are happy that he's back there what can a weekend like this do because there's, there's going to be a lot of recruits there too just seeing the way that a guy like Alshon and some of the former players that will be there will interact with Beamer oh absolutely I mean coach Beamer I, I talk to him all the time as well and you know he's one of those guys that will will do exactly what he says if you ask him for a favor and he says he can do it. He's going to do it. Um, and it's, it's hard to find that kind of, uh, you know, mentality these days. And I think it's going to be big for these recruits to come to this game. And, you know, hopefully we beat their ass. Um, I, I have a good feeling we will. But, you know, for, you know, I remember when I was getting recruited, my biggest thing was asking the former players or the current players, like, hey, what, what, what's coach really like? like what, is, what is the deal here? And you're not going to find many players, if any, that are going to have anything negative to say about Coach Beamer. And, that goes a long way towards helping out and recruiting. Back then it did. I think this day and age, you got to have a little bit more money in your pocket to uh, convince <laughs> some guys to show up. Well, just stri- strictly speaking from a recruiting standpoint, I mean, the NIL stuff aside, the stuff that you can control, obviously they've done everything they can to be able to juice up their offensive line. We're seeing that right now with the two freshmen, the two true freshmen that have been getting in there. As you know, this fan base, win, loss, sneeze cough whatever they're they're on the edge of this seat for everything but are you optimistic about the direction where it's heading absolutely absolutely I think as soon as we hired coach Beamer I thought it was in the right direction so uh yeah we just got to keep it going keep it going um obviously that that week one loss against North Carolina the way we lost it what you know obviously pissed a lot of people off it pissed me off pretty good um but that's that's you know that's life in the Serengeti man you win and you lose but uh but, yeah, I think the direction is is definitely the way to go. I don't like to do questions like this too often, and this is no disrespect to Michael, but talking about, like, the three three five, I hate getting it because, as you know, it's tough sometimes because until you actually watch the film, and I'm assuming you don't watch a bunch of Mississippi State footage, um, why would you? But what I'm trying to get at is it's tough sometimes because they could do their three three five a little different with their stunts and twists and all that. Having said all that, I will throw this in there. <laughs> what's the best way to attack a, a 3-3-5 defense just as a whole? Because we don't know what the game plan is going to be for South Carolina, but this is uh, a defense that they're going to run. Yeah, watch watch what happened to that 3-3-5 last week against LSU. I mean, it's – it's what what the guy throw for? Like six touchdowns and like a couple incompletions? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't, I don't think he's as talented as Spencer is, so – um, yeah, I mean, put on that tape. If I'm, if I'm dialoguing, I'm just watching that tape and say, all right, let's just do exactly what LSU just did and beat these guys ass. I mean, cause I, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know anything about three, three fives. Um, I never saw it when I was playing. So I think it's kind of a, it's a, it's a weird, weird ass defense. So I, 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 I don't, I don't know the first thing about attacking it. We used to I'm trying to think what we used to do. And I know, you know, Chesney, we've talked about Chesney before. It creates a lot of those matchups when, from a blitzing standpoint, you're able to do a lot right. of different things, right? And that's what they're trying to do. Because I think naturally people see the three-man front and they're like, oh, you should be able to run the football. But like you said, if the pressure's not getting there and you have a guy like Rattler, why wouldn't you want to throw the football? And, you know, we can exactly. see South Carolina throw the football for 600 yards, but because they only rush the ball, and I'm making this up, Rush the ball for 50 yards against Mississippi State. People get pissed at, pissed off at that. But, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, everyone's going to get upset about something. Right. For sure. For sure. But, hey, as you said, they, uh, you know, Daniels had all day long. I actually watched that game last week, and 
he had all day long to throw and the guys, the receivers were getting space. He was also throwing some, the best balls I've ever seen him throw. And I've seen LSU play it quite a few times because I've worked with Nussmeyer. But, you know, other than that, I mean, if you can pick up the blitz up front, because there's going to be some stunts and some other shit going on, but uh, there you have to bleep that word out, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, if you can pick that stuff up and, and know where guys are coming from and pick it up, you uh, you should have a you should have a pretty solid day as a quarterback. We'll wrap some things up. Appreciate you as always, buddy, hopping on with us. There's a question from Phil. You know, did Steven ever meet Leach? You know, I don't know if you ever from a recruiting standpoint or did you ever cross paths with him? Nope. I wish, man. I think we would have got along very well. My only interaction with him, and it was indirectly, was at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. And there was a hallway before. There's like 10 of us. The local media meets with the players before they make their rounds. And we were in the hallway, and Leach was just talking to another reporter about, I don't remember exactly who he was talking about, but he brought up the guy's name. And then he's like, that reminds me, this other guy also wrote this book, same name. He just went completely sideways with it and had nothing to do with it. Um, I've had conversations with Steve Spurrier Jr. about him. Um, But like the point being is, and Alyssa Lang's talked about him plenty of times um, on air, what you saw from him is what you got. Like there was no, like it wasn't an act. Like that's just who he was. So um, certainly someone, the football community, not just the SEC, the football community um, is truly missing. They'll continue to miss. Uh, Another question says, what's Steven's most memorable moment against Mississippi State? Never played against them. Really? Yep. Well, I guess for the crossovers with the West, there's there was plenty of times where back then. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> yeah I'm trying to think uh, who we played instead, but yeah, we I never got a chance to play Mississippi State. Yeah, so I, I have mean, no I have no uh, memorable moments at all. Old Miss? Any Mississippi teams? Oh yeah, Old Miss. We played against uh, Old Miss when they were ranked number four. That's the birth of uh, Sandstorm. That's correct. On that that Thursday night. Yep. That is correct. Um, I'll let you get going on this. We got, you know, appreciate people that have been sending comments. <laughs> Where's Garcia's shirt? Um, well, we know this is a Stephen Garcia interview. He's hot. Um, he's feeling warm down there in Florida. But um, I, I, I know who that's from, and I still got to send him his freaking shirts, man. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for reminding me, dude. Jeez, Louise, <laughs> it's tough, man. Having a freaking having a newborn, it's 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 not easy. My brain's all over the place. Well, we we talked about this before it came out and then again when it came out and then people have been messaging you messaging you uh, messaging you about it but we'll throw it out there i don't know i don't have a tv company i mean we do the media stuff here i don't know if we have the production and the money to be able to do all the stuff that comes along with it so maybe someone hears it what would a steven garcia documentary similar to what we saw with johnny manzel be like uh it would be it would be pretty wild um yeah it would be pretty wild i it's I saw that. I did not realize how uh, how crazy that whole thing got towards the end with him. Um, you know, I actually feel pretty bad for him. I mean, anytime you're in that kind of hole to where you put a freaking gun in your head, that's that's you know kind of wild. Um, but yeah, documentary with with me in my college days would it would be viewed for sure. It would be viewed, and you know maybe people would have some different opinions of me, and maybe some would not. So I don't know, but that'd be fun as hell to to kind of explain that someday. I know you always say you don't care how people view you, but um, does it make you laugh sometimes, though, when people just have this perception of of you because of something you did when you were 18 years old? I mean, this is over a decade ago. Absolutely. I still got people that, you know, make smart ass comments on my Twitter all the time or even on Instagram. And it's like, dude, you you understand that was 
13 years ago, 11 years ago. Like at some point you got to take off the cap and gown and close the yearbook, dude. Like, Jesus Christ, hang it up. But I yeah, mean, I mean, I, I'm not going to, I'm not worried about, about what other people that I've never met and they don't even have their, their actual picture as their avatar or whatever their little profile picture. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't bother me one bit. The last question I'll ask you and I'll let you get going. Uh, what has it been like having another daughter? I mean, I know, I know you had two kids before, right? No yep. disrespect yep. to them, even though I beat your son's um, son's butt in um, in NHL. We got to get. Yeah. I know Memphis is get, first off. I, I want to get back to Memphis in a minute there, but being able to have a daughter again, what's it been like for you? For what six months now? What is it? I'm losing she's, track. She's just she's just over seven months now. So seven months uh, now. Yep, yep. So I, I hear her crying right now, and hopefully my other daughters taking care of her but uh but yeah i mean it's it's uh it's been a blessing um she's going through the teething stage right now which is not a blessing but you know it's a short little time period of of non-stop complaining and crying but yeah i can't wait man and uh you know we're we're not done yet or i'm not done yet so in memphis oh. is coming along man <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, hey, yeah he, we're seeing he it, we're seeing the high we're seeing the highlights of him remind people what great he is and you know just how things are going for him because he's playing quarterback yeah, so he's a sophomore. Um, I guess in Florida they're doing this new thing where you can play six quarters. So you can play, you know, three on JV, three on varsity, or two on JV and four on varsity. So we're trying to – I'm trying to get the uh, coaches at his school to let him play, you know, two quarters of JV. Uh, but they're just – they'd rather have him be able to play all four quarters in case of a backup, and they don't want him getting hurt um, in the JV game. So, yeah, he but you know, long story short, he's he's come a long way. He's you know, he's at that typical fifteen year old teenager, you know, dad oh, doesn't nice. know what the hell he's talking about. So, you know, I have to remind him sometimes who uh whose dad is. So uh but yeah, I mean it's 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 awesome seeing him grow and starting to get a little more mature and you know, kind of kind of figuring out his life's path and you know, he, he comes home from you know practice and goes in the shed and, and works out. So I mean it's the determination is there and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to see what he can do with two years of starting, you know, on varsity next year. How special is that though? I mean, I know you don't want to get, uh, not to make it like all corny and sentimental, but I remember going down there, uh, to one of your training camps, helping you out and you're with him a lot. I mean, I know he's not there every day, but being able to do what you do, which obviously I know how much you love being able to train kids. But um, the fact that your son has obviously took a liking to football and he wants to be a quarterback and, you know, I'm sure he's starting to get to that age now. He knows like what you did in college in terms of, you know, all the success that you had with football. You know, how neat is that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is awesome. But, you know, he also knows what I did off the field in college, too. So he reminds me of that all the time, sometimes <laughs> when we're arguing. But, uh, you know, I, I, I tell him and, you know, it's the same thing as my dad told me. He's like, you know, it, I want you to do better than what I did. I, I, you know, I got my first offer as, as a freshman in high school. Um, and, you know, I got a chance to, you know, go all these places and take all these physical visits and, you know, got a chance to play in the SEC and, you know, this other shit. And, you know, it's like, I want you to be better than that. I want you to try to achieve more than that or want to achieve more than that. So that's why I'm hard on you, man. If you don't like it, then you don't, like, you don't have to play quarterback. You don't have to play football at all. But I'm telling you, if you do, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what it takes and what what it's what it's going to require for you to do it, especially in this day and age where I mean, there's there's no shortage of of crayon eating quarterback coaches, man. It's it's unbelievable. Some of the stuff these guys are teaching. But, you know, every quarterback, that being said, every quarterback has a trainer that they're going to see. And, um, you know, the position is just getting that much more competitive. So I was like, dude, you got you got to lock in. You got to focus up and, you know, 
pay attention to what the hell I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm doing. You know, I've got plenty of kids that are playing in college and a couple of NFL guys. So, I mean, I know what I'm talking about. You just got to just trust me on this. Hey, last one, just because Craig made me think about this. You know, he brought up about ner- well, how nervous it can be and nerve wracking when you're watching your son, your son. Is it more nervous for you watching your son play football? And granted, he's, you know, he's working his way up. Or is it more nerve wracking when you were on the field? Oh, way more nerve wracking when I was playing. Um, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. Seeing him, I mean, he's, when he, for, there's something about him when he, I guess it was kind of like me, but when the lights come on, man, he turns into a different animal. So I'm not, I'm not worried about him or, you know, yeah, that is, it was definitely more nerve wracking, you know, playing in front of a hundred thousand plus people that are screaming at you. Well, Steven, as always, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Yeah, man, absolutely. Anytime, brother. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Once again, yes, Steven sir. Garcia, former Gamecock quarterback, joining us today on GC Live. That was awesome. That was awesome. If you hopped on a little bit later, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut that segment up and we'll throw that up on Gamecock Central, have it on the podcast platform as well, but on YouTube, everything. But no, that was great. That was great. We got into everything. We got into life. We got into talking about Alshon Jeffrey. We got into talking about the Mississippi State game. We got into talking about South Carolina football, of course, and what he's seen with Spencer Rattler and the offense as a whole. So we really appreciate Garcia hopping on today. If anyone has any final questions, fire away. I'm going to try to go back up and find some of the questions earlier. But I also do – I also want to show that soundbite that we've been talking about with Dow Loggins because – I really want to just break it down again for some people because I think they just need to hear it. And I think some, when they hear it, they think it's more of an excuse. I don't view it that way. I really don't. I feel like more than anything, it's Dal just being honest. And I think you have to hear the whole thing through, right? You have to hear the whole thing through. It's real easy just to hear one part and be like, all right, that's what it, no, no, no. Listen to the whole thing. Don't get hung up on just one little section. Listen to the whole message. So I'm going to pull this up here with Dal. And again, this is from yesterday. Feels like it was weeks ago at this point. But I want to be able to bring up the soundbite from Dal from yesterday. Make sure we have this thing queued up, ready to go. And again, this is Dal Loggins talking about the decisions that go into deciding what the personnel is going to be from a running back standpoint and what they're trying to accomplish. So let me cue that up. And again, I want everyone to listen. I mean, you have to listen to the dumb Yankee from um, from Boston with my my thick accent. Uh, ask him the question, but listen to what he says, the full thing through, and then we'll discuss it. And if anyone has any comments, let us know, and then we'll wrap things up on the other side. But here, take a listen. Dow Loggins yesterday talking about what goes into the decision process at running back as they are trying to figure out what they can do to get a spark out of that room. 
Dell, I know there's multiple factors that go into making decisions as to who's going to be on the field at a certain time, especially yeah. at the running back position. I know Mario played a little bit more of this past weekend, but yep. what can he do more to be able to get on the field and how much of DK's impact in making a, a difference on, um, you know, his pass protection, how much difficult does that make it, you know, whether it be Mario or any other running yeah. back? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. And obviously you have a pretty good feel for that as well because um, you're accurate with um, DK when the games, the last two games, the, the two top 25 teams we've lost to, um, they've become in the, you know, lopsided scores in the fourth quarter or second half. Then you're down seven, you're down 10, you're throwing the football more. DK is a really good pass protector. He understands that stuff. And a lot of our decisions come based on practice. And when guys practice well and they do it for a week and they're, you're going to get to play more. It's not, there, look, if there was a, coaches are going to play the best players because our jobs are on the line and we depend on having the best players out there. So you can count on and uh, you, the players can count on whoever has the best week of practice and whoever's going training in the right direction will play. And if someone's not playing, there's something not going on that the, either the player's not meeting the expectation of the coach or the player's expectations of themselves are not high enough. And that's why that's how decision depth chart decisions get made. Um, you know, so, and Mario has demonstrated the ability to create some stuff in the run game for us. That's why he's playing a little bit more. And he'll, if he continues to do those things, he will continue to play more. We trust DK. We trust DK in knowing the whole thing, the whole system, the pass protections, the uh, being able to flex out and run routes, be able to, um, you know, run the football and do those things. Like it's a, it's just, it's not just a trust factor from the coaches. He's demonstrated the, um, the fact that he does, he can do it. He can like mentally, he can figure those things out. So again, as I mentioned before, it doesn't mean like, all right, the run game hasn't been there. It doesn't mean we just excuse it altogether. But instead of just saying, man, why aren't they running the ball? Man, just throw Mario out there. If you want to go do that, there's plenty of other people on online that you can have those conversations with. Plenty of conversations. And as I've said before, I do believe that we will start to see Mario get more touches. Not only more touches, but more snaps. And we've slowly started to see that. He had 12 snaps, I believe it was two weeks ago against Furman. They had 16 this past weekend. So we're starting to see those snaps go up. And as Shane Beamer shared the other day, one of the reasons why Mario, and not just Mario, but the run game as a whole, why they didn't run the football as much is because there were times where they had to check out of a run during an RPO and they decided to throw the football. And that was evident on the first play of the game when they threw the football to Luke Doty. So I want to play this soundbite from Shane Beamer. This is from Shane Beamer talking about the RPOs and checking out of some of the things, right? Because some people want to be like, oh, they're bandit. No, they're, they're going to take what the defense is giving them. There's a reason why South Carolina is ranked eighth in the country in pass offense. So let's take a listen now to Shane. This is from Tuesday. Had a lot of called runs on Saturday that were RPOs, meaning if the box isn't favorable for us to hand the ball off, we're going to not hand it off and we're going to throw it. And first play of the game out there to Luke on Saturday. I mean, that was a called run that just the look they gave us, we're going to throw it out there every time. So, again, 
you're starting, we're starting to just connect things right here. We're starting to connect things. And I really do believe, I really do believe. Yeah. But Thomas, again, snap snaps on aren't irrelevant. They're not. Because he's getting onto the field more. But at the end of the day, if a certain front is by, if Georgia has a certain front, they're not going to run the football. It doesn't matter who's out there. They're going to check out of it. They're going to check out of it. So that's why I don't fully agree with what you're saying. I do agree that he needs to get more touches, but I don't think the whole snaps are irrelevant. I don't agree with that. I don't. Um, but again, going back to what we were saying, big picture of it all. The reality is, is this South Carolina, they're trying to find a way to get the offense going after playing like just absolutely crap against North Carolina week one. They needed to find some type of spark. Your left tackle went down in the spring game. Your right tackle goes down second series of the game against North Carolina. You allowed nine sacks week one. So what do you do? Well, you have a running back out there who gives you a little bit extra protection in DK. And as a result, South Carolina has now been what they're they're top 10 in the country number eight in the country in passing yards having said all that you can only do that so much especially when you rank third to last in the country in rushing yards you need to find a way to establish the run and because of the fact that mario has now been at south carolina heading into his fourth game of the year he has three game week of practice under his belt that's different from fall camp that's different from spring ball installations are coming at you a hell of a lot quicker than they were in spring ball and then during fall camp. It's a week-to-week thing. He knows what's going on now. He has a better feel for it. And that's why, as I mentioned before, we're going to have Carlin's Patel hop on next week on GC Live on Tuesday night. Again, not true apples to apples, talking about running back and DB, right? It's a little different. But there's a lot of things that Mario said two weeks ago during his press conference saying that he needed to continue to grow from a mental standpoint because he was making the jump up from D2. And I think with what we've seen, whether it be in the Furman game, whether it be even last week during the two touches that he had against Georgia, I think we're starting to see that. That's why he's starting to play more. That's why I disagree that snaps are irrelevant. You know, this isn't youth football. We're not just going to put Johnny back there and just hand off the ball every single time just to get Johnny his touches. That's just not how it works. And in that first half in particular, South Carolina, they were doing some really good things offensively, really good things. Now, certainly it, it it was deflating after you lose Juice Wells, and there was probably a lot of the game plan was built around him, and they had to make adjustments on the fly. But there's certain things because, look, is Georgia the Georgia of old? We're going to have to wait and see. But based on what we saw the other day, I don't think they're as much of a, of a bruising team in comparison to what we've seen over the last two years, but they're certainly still one of the better defensive teams in the country, if not the best defensive team. And we'll see how things play out. But that was a challenge last week. That was a challenge. They know that you don't have success running the football. They're going to stay in the box. They're going to stay in the box because they know that they can get you to become one-dimensional. But I think we're going to see a growth, again, because Mario has been in the system now a little bit longer. He's starting to feel more comfortable. What I pointed back to a little while ago is from everything that I've been told over the last two weeks in particular is that Mario has really shown growth. 
really shown growth. And it goes back to that comment that he made, which I was paraphrasing a little bit. But again, I think we'll, we'll start to see that this week. And as far as DJ Braswell goes, and I said this on another show on Tuesday, I don't necessarily think the be- the answer is just throwing in a freshman. Hey, just go get, give it to this guy. Go give it to that guy. I mean, to me, I would save his redshirt year. Now, how do things play out? We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. But and the reason I say that is not every four-star or even five-star, whatever the heck uh, the, the situation is. I mean, remember, Rattler redshirt his first year at Oklahoma. Some of these guys aren't going to play in more than four games this year that are freshmen, and that's okay. That doesn't mean they're a lost cause. That doesn't mean off of rec- – I think some fans, and I get this part of it, you might be a little concerned, like, oh, man, they might enter the transfer portal. Yeah, some of the guys might do that. And I'm not talking specifically to South Carolina. I'm talking about across the country because that's just the landscape of not college, just not only college football, but college athletics these days. But that shouldn't steer you away from what you need to accomplish as a program. If you're worried about getting Johnny his touches or whatever the case may be, that's going to backfire quicker than anything else. It will. Again, this isn't a youth football team. This isn't Little League. Everyone needs to get their touches. Everyone needs to get their at-bats. It's not how it works. But I think we're going to see Mario get more touches because, again, he's starting to come along from the mental side of it. He understands what they're asking him to do, which involves blocking probably a little bit more than he was asked to block at uh, Newberry. There's more that goes into the pass protection calls on this level than there are at the D2 level. And we'll talk with Carlos Patel about different things that he noticed, again, from a defensive side, but when he made the jump up to the SEC. But I think that, on top of the fact that the offensive line starting to come into their own a little bit, they still have plenty of areas where they can grow in, but because they've been able to show that continued growth since week one, after allowing nine sacks against North Carolina, I feel the coaching staff feels more comfortable about where that that stands right now, where that lies, where you can tweak things up a little bit. But I think DK will still play a crucial, crucial role at running back for the Gamecocks moving forward. That doesn't mean that I don't think they might motion him out or use him in the uh, passing game, because I think they will probably a little bit more just because he is talented out in space. But I think we'll start to see Mario. We will start to see Mario. Well, that's going to do it here for today's show. Appreciate everyone that tuned in. I mean, it was a fun one. You know, if you missed any of our program, again, Stephen Garcia, the former Gamecock quarterback, hopped on and joined us. We talked plenty about where South Carolina is after three games in and what he's seen from this offense, the improvements he's seen, what he's liking from Spencer Rattler. We talked about Alshon Jeffrey. We shared some stories, uh, remembered a lot of those memories when Jeffrey was here as he gets set to see his jersey retired by the program this weekend. And we also talked some life with Garcia, how things have been going as he is now seven months into having another daughter. He has three children now, two daughters and one son, Memphis being the oldest, a sophomore in high school, playing some high school football, trying to follow in the footsteps, at least from an athletic standpoint, as Stephen joked, and trying to teach him the mistakes that he made off the field so he doesn't repeat them. But if you want to watch that, we'll have that cut up 
on Gamecock Central on the YouTube page. You can watch this entire program if you want to watch everything. We'll also have that up. That will be ready to go immediately after this. Or if you're a podcast listener, you can head on over to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. And wherever you download your podcast, you'll be able to find that there. Appreciate everyone again tuning in tonight. Tomorrow, catch Chris and Wes. They'll be on at 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock to talk some Gamecock football final thoughts as as Gamecocks gear up to take on Mississippi State. And remember, too, remember, too, Saturday night, Elshon Jeffrey, that jersey retirement ceremony, you're going to be able to see that if you're going to the game. If you are going to the game, be safe, everybody. Enjoy it. And hopefully next Thursday when we hop back on, we'll be able to talk about a Gamecock win. And, oh, by the way, on Saturday in the postgame show, we're going to have former Gamecock offensive lineman Garrett Anderson joining the program again. We will have the audio stuff taken care of. You corrected that, you know, kind of like the offensive line. Uh, we've been able to make some tweaks and adjustments so that we can be better with the GC Live stuff. So, again, appreciate everyone that tuned in tonight. Have yourself a good Thursday and Friday, and enjoy the game Saturday night, folks. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.